You're listening to Truth and Narrative, the show that cuts through today's media narratives and tries to find the truth. And now your hosts, Will and Gabe. Hey, Will, how you doing? Pretty good, Gabe. How are you? I am doing well. Okay, so we are a month after the election and things seem to be calming down. So today I just want to get your opinion on the state of the union. What's going on in America? What's what's good? What's bad? What can we expect coming forward, going forward? What do you think? What's on your mind? Well, going forward, I don't see both sides recognizing a legitimate president from for at least the next administration and possibly forever. After this shit show of an election, after five years of Russiagate and hoax after hoax after hoax challenging the legitimacy of, of a clear winner, now you have half the country convinced that Biden won, legit won. Half the country is either convinced or hoping that Trump, that Trump can pull something out. And you have a good chunk of both that honestly believes that even if Biden won, he did it by cheating. You have entire power structures and institutions from education to meet to Hollywood to the press have exposed themselves as being hollow and untrustworthy to half the population. This election did not bought us the time we need to figure out how to live together. Okay, so I got some questions about that because embedded in your statements are the popular belief among about 40%. 40% of the country that the election was not up on the up and up. But uh, counter arguments would come from the judges, each of which have dismissed the Trump administration suits in court. Not only have they dismissed them, they've dismissed them without prejudice. Trump's lawyers, Trump's legal team did not even bring up in their challenges. They didn't even really make those accusations. And the reports say that they didn't make these accusations because you're not allowed to perjure yourself in court. The head of the uh, director, I can't remember, Homeland Security, or, or the guy who Trump recently fired, who was in charge of the elections, he said that the election was, was fair. Republican... I, I'm sorry, so you've got, you've got a few things going on here. In the first place, the question was about the state of the nature, nation going forward, not about what's provable fact, and I was telling you the perceptions among the public. But secondly, you don't get to talk about someone in the bureaucracy said something to embarrass Trump, so it must be true because the bureaucracy is loyal to Trump. There is zero evidence of that. Nobody who watches what's going on thinks that any statement that's predicated on, well, but it's his own bureaucracy, it, it carries any validity whatsoever. If you're you're trying to, to start from that assumption, that's not a valid assumption. Okay, let's step but out of that assumption. talk about the lawsuits. You know, the Trump campaign only actually filed three lawsuits. You hear okay. a lot of headlines about all the judges dismissing all the lawsuits. Only three... Yeah. Suits were actually filed by the Trump campaign, and I, I haven't seen their progress this week, but as of last week, they were actually doing pretty well. Nobody who has watched the Pennsylvania Supreme Court over the past uh, six years or so believe, ever expected the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to be an honest judicial arbiter. It is possibly the most partisan, democratically controlled judicial body outside of the Ninth Circuit. I've been following them uh, somewhat since they got in their noses, stuck their noses into gerrymandering. The Pennsylvania right, Court. Speaking of Supreme, uh, speaking, 
speaking speaking of Supreme Courts, let's just go to the highest court in the land. Of course, the Trump strategy would have been to, and for these three lawsuits that are still pending, you know, they should all go to the Supreme Court eventually, right? And that's what, where Trump what, would get his fair. Yeah, yeah. So is this going to happen? Because, I mean, if, if it goes to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court decides, then I think we have to accept whatever the Supreme Court rules, right? So, like, why isn't it? Why if is you it don't going accept, if you don't accept what the Supreme Court rules, you have two choices: secede or overthrow the government. Well, I guess that's not true. You you, you could always just if you're if you control another branch, you could always just ignore them. But everyone's looking for peaceful settlements. Uh, the only people who riot aren't rioting right now because they think they won. And time may prove that accurate at least in a practice. But I think that this will be fought all the way to the Supreme Court. I think that there is cautious optimism in the Trump camp. If if Trump thought it was a slam dunk, I don't think he'd have pardoned Michael Flynn on, on Thanksgiving Day. I think that uh, when he issued that pardon to Flynn, that was a big tell for me because Flynn didn't want a pardon. He wanted exoneration. And now that he has a pardon, he can't keep fighting the government because there's no longer cause. So the government can't, his case will never have been dismissed. The the government will never be reprimanded and his civil suits against his former attorneys and other uh, partisans in the case are, are now far, far weaker than they would have been with full exoneration. He wanted exoneration. I think when, when Trump gave him that pardon on Thanksgiving Day, that was that was Trump sort of hedging his bets without making it a last minute pardon. Does that speaking make sense? Pardon, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And uh, speaking of pardons, I don't know the background, but apparently there's a talk that Trump is going to be preemptively pardoning members of his family. What's that about? Over the past four and five years, we have seen a torrent of lawfare unleashed by a side of the aisle that is not afraid or ashamed, but instead is proud of imprisoning people unjustly because they're uh, political adversary. We saw Michael Flynn, Scooter Libby was even long before that, but we have seen a level of animosity of personal attacks of people being bankrupted uh, over the past several years that is absolutely unheard of. Do, do I, I, I don't know if these family pardons are going to come through, but if they, if they do, I, I can't blame anyone. Uh, we have seen that there is a two-track two justice system in this country. You just need to look at the Mueller investigation and how it nabbed Manafort, but gave uh, John Podesta immunity and, and a whole bunch of things like that. It, it, it's not rule of law anymore. Rule of law inherently relies on treating all parties equally before the law and enforcing equally. When you're when you start weaponizing the system to only charge the people who are your political enemies and that others can get away with it disproportionately, that is a political prisoner. That is uh, the loss of rule of law. You're no longer using a law. You're using a weapon. And that's that. That's I hope we ha I hope it hasn't come to that. But if he believes it has any issues, the pardons, I couldn't blame him. OK, speaking of uh, speaking of family members. I'm hearing and reading a couple of things that Ivanka might be dipping her toe into the field of politics, maybe at some high level as a senator, or, you know, definitely I think that some of the Trump children are planning to 
stay active in the Republican Party and perhaps look at running for higher office themselves in the future. What do you think about that? Well, I hadn't heard about that. There's a lot of speculation. My general rule of thumb is try not to pay too much of, uh, attention to anything for a month before the election. And unfortunately, the election's still da- still happening. But uh, that sounds interesting. I, I, I think she's a little to the left for my taste, but um, I'm sure she'd be very passionate. You know, smart. Ivanka, she's been doing a whole bunch of projects, and it's mostly focused on empowering women and economics and things like that. Uh, you know, very positive, very positive things that she's been doing. I don't know why the media hasn't been talking about that. <laughs> You know, I, I don't think of her as a as a rank amateur. I think that she might be uh, pretty good if she does go into politics. Yeah, but the the press can't cover anything unless they think they have a hook that makes the the, the orange man bad look bad. Well, this is true. This is true. But uh, I'd love to. I, I'd be interested in seeing what Don Jr. has to say. Now, he never took a position in the administration. When his dad was president, he he preferred to stay on the outside as a sort of unofficial spokesman, and he recently started his own PAC. Uh, he created a political action committee to to help with the uh, I think it's a super PAC. I'm not sure to help with the uh, Georgia runoff campaign. I see. So I, th- I I I I I have a feeling that once the Georgia runoff is over, that super PAC will still exist. I think Don's going to be working on the outside, being a kingmaker. Yeah, I wouldn't surprise that. I, I, I would not be surprised if the Trump family simply maintains an iron grip over the Republican Party for, the, for, for at least the foreseeable future. Yes. I wonder how long he can hold on. How long can he hold on to the Republican Party? Trump? Yeah, and his family, after the election. <laughs> well, Trump, I think, will, will have an iron grip until he either loses interest or dies. I, I, I don't know if the Republican Party is going to continue existing. Trump created the MAGA party, and now there's a whole bunch of Republicans, the perma-war, neocon, country club set, that have hated him all along. They formed, you know, groups like the Lincoln Project that spoke at the uh, Democratic National Convention. They're hoping to get to retake control. Their plan is to retake control of the Republican Party once Trump is off the scene. I think he's going to stay out there, keeping things buttoned up with rallies and whatnot, right up until he croaks. If for no other reason than watch them twist in the wind, waiting for their day. <laughs> they did him dirty, and he believes in vengeance. And in, in order to do that, I think he's going to create—there's going to be a MAGA party. Whether, they, the, whether Bolton and the others regain control of the Republican Party, and then there's a split-off, or whether the Republican Party just gets full MAGA in its blood and can never go back, there's going to be some kind of party of MAGA. The only question is, is there going to be a home for the perma-war neocons, uh, the country club? club set that's no longer welcome in MAGA. Something tells me, if you if you look at this last election, if you look at who the billionaires were giving money to, if you look at who the may, highly paid celebrities were giving money to, if you look at who the financial services industries were giving money to, it wasn't MAGA. The Democratic Party is the party of the military-industrial complex these days. It is the party of the billionaires 
and the financiers these days. It is not the party of laborers anymore. And MAGA is. Mm, good points. Good points. Very interesting. So uh, some transact- transition activities have taken place. And on some levels, I think the administration is is preparing to leave next month. How about how about the Biden administration? Can you can you say anything positive about, you know, what they could do or their their possibilities? Anything positive? What do you think? They just spent 5 years calling me a Nazi and encouraging strangers on the street to kill me. Fuck them. Okay, so that is absolutely the far left. You know, the far far left it's ridiculous Biden launched his campaign on the Charlottesville hoax. He based his campaign. His launch was centered around repeating that lie. His entire campaign is based on embracing that. Uh, I'm not sure the entire campaign. There's there's a there's a wide there's a wide uh, the Democratic Party. Gotta admit is is a wide tent. It's got a lot of different groups and with a lot of different interests. And certainly his exact words in the commercial launching his campaign were fine people on both sides. No, Mr. President, he literally spoke the disproven hoax as the launch moment of his campaign. Okay, well, that kind of sucks. I told you a long time ago in 20 after the following the 2016 election for the first time in American history we did not have a true peaceful transfer of power and yeah. just when I thought the other side couldn't get any worse about it couldn't get any more miserable about it couldn't destroy more institutions traditions customs norms they would find a new low to dig to the point that my wife gets afraid if I wear a red ball cap outside of the house. Well, I I certainly don't think you should be wearing red ball caps outside the house. <laughs> you but, can be MAGA. You can be MAGA without the hat. <laughs> yeah, it's not even a MAGA hat. It's a Bucky's hat. He he did. He built his campaign on that, and then. He chooses his running mate, a woman who said that she believes he sexually assaulted his assistant and believes that he's a racist, and then accepted uh, the VP nod from him. I mean, they deserve each other. Yeah, well, you know, you cannot expect politicians to be consistent with their morals or their values or their statements. (laughs) That is absolutely accurate. You will be disappointed every time if you're expecting that. (laughs) You know, you have the you have a vice president who was basically police putting people of color in jail for for years in California, and now she is somehow embraced by the same people who want to defund the police. Well, and you haven't even mentioned the truly offensive part. You can have issues with sentences and whether something should be a crime or something, and a prosecutor can still say, look, it has to change in the legislature. It's my job to enforce the law. Now we can go back and forth about when and how she exercised discretion. At least there's a defense she can offer. When she refused to release men who had already served their time so that they would continue fighting wildfires for, I think it was a dollar a day or $7 
a day. That is literal slave labor, and there is no legal defense for that that I know. That is wrongful incarceration. It is very important to calculate an inmate's sentence accurately. If you let them out too early, then you've facilitated an escape. And if you let them out too late, you've wrongfully incarcerated them. Whatever your issues are about the drug laws, drug crimes, sentences, guidelines, and all that, at least she has a shield that she can put up and, and defend herself with there. But with actual slave labor for government service, I am astounded. That That's the part that just stands out for me. Well, that, that kind of speaks to, I think, one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest headaches that the Biden administration is going to have. Politicians, make they make a deal with the devil during the campaign like Biden playing up the fine people on both sides, right? So you get the Black Lives Matter vote, you get the Antifa vote, you get the Portland protesters vote, you get the radical LGBT and the fourth wave feminism, you get them to support you. And as soon as you get in the office, they're going to want you to do what they say. You know, AOC is going to want you to take take a hard look at garbage she calls the uh, Green New Deal. And, you know, why, why was President Trump impeached? Nancy Pelosi knew they had no evidence or whatever evidence they had. It wasn't impeachable. It's not it's not enough to get rid of a president. But yet the radical left of her party pushed her towards it. So the big question is, how is Biden and Harris, how are they going to navigate? Because if they follow the left, the radical left of their party, uh, within two years, you're going to see a massive red wave in Congress. And within four years, you're going to see the Republicans, maybe even Trump, right back in the White House. So Biden is no fool, I don't think. He's not going to be able to follow the left of his party. But yet, if he doesn't, he may he may lose that shaky Democratic coalition. Biden doesn't have a core. He doesn't have a center. He lied about how his wife and child died. He lied about a lot of things. He established this cancer charity in honor of, I think, his dead son, and then didn't put any money to research, instead giving it all to his buddies and salaries to sit on the board of directors. Biden runs Biden Inc., and his life and his career have been projecting whatever he has to to get away with diverting as much wealth and power to himself and his family as he can. A, that will be his core guiding principle. Now, we know that China has pretty much uh, bought him and his son, so he'll be selling us out to them in strategic ways. But the, the saving grace is Kamala isn't as smart as Biden, but she is a hell of a lot more ruthless. So I have a feeling that Biden is going to have a food taster. And I think Kamala's probably going to need one too, because Jill Biden is going to be very protective of him. You know that sounds that sounds that sounds sexist to me. That sounds like you're saying that women don't always get along. I thought women always got along. Oh no, I'm not saying that women don't get along. I'm saying that once someone enters politics, they're not a person anymore. They're not a man. They're not a woman. They're a politician. The only thing worse than a politician is a goddamn communist. Well, that's true. That's that's why we're stuck with politicians. <laughs> At least a politician occasionally is right about something. Well, that was a clock. So, what are we? What are we going to do? What are we going to do with these politicians? I mean, like this whole idea of democracy is we have these imperfect people in leadership positions, and the, we can somehow steer them towards the good of the country. Uh, is, well, is that we've, still a we've got like plenty of checks and balances, sure, but you have a Republican Party that uh, the base 
understands now that there are snakes in the grass in powerful positions in the party looking to screw them. So they are awakened in a way I've never seen before. You have uh, the GOP strengthened control of state legislatures across the board, even flipping one legislature. So the, the GOP is in an excellent position for redistricting fights this year when the new census comes out. The House majority leadership right now in the uh, in the House in the U.S. House is I think the smallest it's been since like 1947, or it's on track to be because some races still have yet to be called. Dems have this really strange coalition of the old aristocrats and the the young communists uh, who who hate each other, and they're sort of locked like two of the three stooges are Siamese twins or something. All it's going to take is a few defections to defeat anything there. If the Republicans in the House can unify and can peel off some moderate Democrats, uh, they can really get some stuff through there. The Senate, the runoff will determine control of the Senate. If there is... A Trump White House, that's fantastic. He's been moving some stuff around. He's perfectly positioned to accelerate the drawdowns and more wars, etc., get more peace treaties in the Middle East. But if if it winds up being a Biden-Harris administration, there's going to be a lot of fights to fight. There are going to be appointments. There are going to be uh, issues like ATF enforcement regulations. All of the things that, that Republicans spent years having to check the Obama administration on, they're going to have to check the Biden administration on. Uh, I think they might have better tools to do it, though. It's unfortunate that it's lost ground. It's unfortunate that it's probably a stolen election. It's not too bad a position to be in. The issue is if a st- if if you you no longer have trust that you can have a fair election, how much power can you trust that position to have? I think that we're on track to see a wave of nullification over the next four years. I think we're on track to see conservative states and counties nullifying asinine gun laws, etc. And I think we're on track to see a a wave of incredible uh, blue city and blue state nullification. Drug laws, we already see Oregon legalizing pretty much all of Schedule 1 to some degree. You have uh, sanctuary cities, etc., so I, I, I think what we're going to be looking at is a lot of four years of gridlock with a lot of Republican victories that, that, that are difficult for Dems to explain to their, their base. And we're going to see a whole lot of people wanting the federal government to have less power. I think we might be seeing a moment where right and left can come together and agree to repeal federal income tax just so that states can once again have essential the autonomy they once knew in creating their own criminal codes that's very that's very libertarian we you know we we never really go that far libertarian do you really think now's the time oh yeah yes i do I, I think that it'll probably be followed by a bout of inflation as the Federal Reserve uh, prints money to, to retire T-bills. There's going to have to be some sort of plan for states to assume some amount of the outstanding federal debt, maybe according to their share of GDP or something, so that it gets retired and the 
ratios don't panic global markets. We're at a point where the power of the federal government and the idea of the federal government is I can impose my vision on the of the country on the other 49 states. I, I think our visions are becoming different enough that we're getting tired of fighting 100% to get 50.1% of the vote so we can impose a 100% vision on the world or fighting 100% to get 50.1% of the vote in order to prevent the other guy from imposing his vision on us. But I, I think people are starting, I hope people are starting to get tired of that. I think if we get both sides understanding that, I, I, well, I think frankly, if, if you get the left to understand that they haven't been winning, people have been underestimating them. And to get them to understand what it really feels like to lose and to feel the pain of the combat when someone's fighting back, metaphorically, I, I, I think that we can get to a point where where we can all say, okay, let's eliminate federal income tax. The states can tax their, their people's incomes as they see fit, and we'll eliminate these federal services and transfer payments and all that. The feds just won't have the power to micromanage people's lives anymore. And that way, California can create their socialist utopia within the confines of the Constitution, and South Dakota can stay open. I don't know how that's going to happen with the left. You know, the left thinks that they're right. They are headed. They think that communism good. They are going to be pushing in the exact opposite way that vision. I, yeah, the question I may is, be a dreamer. Overcome. How do we overcome the left? How do we how do we put them back in the box? How do we do that? I don't know, man. I seriously don't know. I saw this one video on social media. This woman was saying that studies were done after World War II in Germany about the people who had been subsumed by the fanatical Nazi cult. Not the ones that were just going along to get along and keep their jobs, but the ones who were actually true believers. One of the things that was discovered was that it had a lot to do with disconnecting people from rational thought and making them constantly emotional, constantly peaking their emotions. I, I'm wondering if part of the problem isn't smartphones uh, and video games and just all of these Skinner box bells and whistles that attract our attention and, and tweak our emotion, Twitter and Instagram and all that. But I, I, I think that we have a lot of people who, aside that in the 1960s, discovered the power of storytelling and then just fell over in the ensuing, what, 60 years into so far into it that they're they're removed from constraint by fact or logic. What do you what do you mean they discovered the art of storytelling? Elaborate on that. The counterculture movement in the '60s. You had a lot of a lot of uh, music followed by eventually some some film and and whatnot. It, it was it, it wasn't calmly and rationally discussing issues. It was singing about them, telling stories about things, personalizing feelings. So you're saying the rock and roll movement had a yeah. you know all the music of the '60s and. You know, yeah, no, uh, the, developed, the, developed into a counterculture based yeah. around music and, and movies and, you know, TV shows, right? Yep, absolutely. But I do have a question for you. I do yep. have a question. Uh, and it's kind of about free speech. So I'm looking at the New York Post and I heard about this story yesterday. Facebook to rank anti-black hate speech over anti-white comments, meaning 
anti-white comments are okay, but anti-black comments are not. Is that a violation of free speech or is that an expression of free speech? <laughs> you know, I have no clue. My understanding is that the Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act requires a dis- creates a distinction between platforms and publishers. And a platform is something like a bulletin board where users create their messages. And the platform is not responsible for things like defamation claims and violations of copyright law, etc. But if you make publishing decisions, you're a publisher. And if you decide, I'm going to publish this opinion but not that opinion, then you are making publishing decisions. So I, I I think it's really weird. I don't know what the line should be, because if you think about it, you want people who make a dinosaur chat room for kids to be able to make a set of rules about publishing that's more restrictive than, say, Facebook. But where is the line? What we're coming into is the question of how much editorial policy can you create about we'll publish this but not that before you are necessarily a publisher and can be sued for every time one of your users hit send and you let it go through and there was a defamation or there was a uh, or, or there was a copyright infringement or something else a crime was being committed if facebook keeps down this path i think they're i i wonder if they're actually testing looking for someone to sue them and say this is the line that's too far you've gone too far i wonder if they haven't reached the point where they're so big and they're working with the other ones we now know from the the congressional hearings they're so big and they're working in unison with the other monopolists in their field i'm wondering if they're trying to push that to, to that point because as soon as the the determination was made and the lawsuits start coming congress would be forced to save this multi-hundred billion dollar company because it's too big to fail and change the law and make it what facebook wants it to be i'm wondering if they're not trying to provoke that crisis just in order to control the outcome at a time when they're strong oh they're not they're not just strong. I believe that they uh, think they're impervious. They can do anything that they want. They don't have any real social responsibility, at least towards the whole society. They're beholden to the left, the extreme left, which seems like, you know, Silicon Valley always has been. I think you're onto something. Earlier, you mentioned that, it, you know, one of the problems we could be having in our society are smartphones. Now, there is some research that backs that up. There's a book called The Coppling of the American Mind. I uh, forget exactly who the writer is. They're tracing a lot of the problems that we're having with our millennials. You know, the same people, many of them are out rioting. The problem comes from smartphones, yes, and Facebook. Things are Skinner boxes. I think my next one might be a might be a, a clamshell. What's a, what's a, what's a, oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. A clamshell <laughs> must be an apple, right? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, clamshell is an apple, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, a flip phone. A flip phone. Oh, okay, okay. 
Well, what do you foresee the first uh, 100 days of the Biden administration? What's going to happen? What are we looking at? Oh, I think we're going to see a lot of people burning a lot of masks publicly. Really? What's that? But I, I read that he's not going to make it mandatory. He's going to, you know, just urge the public. Yes, that it's acceptable? a virtue signal. He, uh, okay. I, I, I don't care if he's going to make it mandatory or if he's just going to trust his uh, governor henchman to do the dirty work. But what, what about it's a virtue the virtue signal? What's that? What about the coronavirus? What about the coronavirus? We're we're hitting record deaths now. What should we not take some kind of action? We've taken a lot of action, but I, I don't see the reason we should unleash violence on people who fail to to keep up with a superstitious totem that has zero evidence that it works. Well, with, there there's there is some scientific evidence that masks work. There's, uh, there's no, quite a bit there's of no scientific evidence that mask mandates work. There are some controlled studies that under some theoretical conditions, masks work for theoretical for how the virus theoretically is transmitted. But when you look when you graph out the, the cases, when you graph out the mortality, when you graph out everything as the virus has hit countries and receded and, and, and come back and you graph out where they created mask mandates, where they got widespread mask compliance, you cannot predict in advance where that mask compliance starts. Yeah. If masks but, work but Biden, in real life not, to slow not. the spread of COVID, you would be able to guess on a graph, okay, this must be where they started the mask mandate because the the, the case spread rate did this change. It, it, it isn't predictable. Even when you look at different counties inside the same state over the same period of time, it, there isn't any evidence that mask mandates work in practice to arrest the spread of COVID. Okay, it's not a mandate. It's an urging of the public. That's better, right? Uh, we have already had mobs attack people. We have already had people fire guns over masking. Uh, we have seen law enforcement commit acts of violence over masking issues. I don't care what he calls it. He is calling for violence. It may not. So what be should we do? Go how ahead. Should we address? How should we address this virus then? What should we do? Uh, we have developed some very good treatments. We've learned a lot about it. We have uh, the Zelenko protocol. We have remdesivir. We have uh, a lot better testing now. We know now that it isn't anywhere near as deadly as we originally thought because now we're starting to get a lot more of the asymptomatic positive cases because we've increased uh, testing to the degree that we can do that now and have all that extra testing on people who we, we who aren't already obviously dying of COVID. So what, now that we're, we're catching it earlier about the people who don't become symptomatic, not only is it not as deadly as we initially thought, because now we're getting a fuller idea of how many people are infected for everyone that dies, but it's also less deadly than we initially thought because it's mutated several times since then, and most of those mutations have made it less lethal. It also, we've also developed a better understanding of it. We, uh, a lot of people were harmed initially with premature reliance on ventilators, and a lot of the damage, the initial damage that they were talking about with patients was actually caused by ventilators. So now there's a better understanding of when and how to apply the ventilator in a patient, uh, and you have a much better 
treatment rate, survival rate now than you did before because you have better technologies, better understanding, better treatments. We've been doing a lot and we've been facing this head on, but the biggest thing that's been missing from the whole thing is that every time you get out of your house and you buckle into your car and you drive to work, you're taking a risk. There is, a, there is not a 100% chance that you will arrive at work alive. And you have to make grown-ass adult risk-weighted decisions about everything at life. Well, I get a croissant sandwich at the local gas station on the before I hit the road in the morning, maybe. Will I get gas stations? Will I get sushi at a roadside gas station in the middle of Arizona? Hell no. We all have to go through life saying, you know, there's a non zero chance this might kill me, but based on my personal situations, uh, uh, on my personal situation and how I perceive the world. Today, it's appropriate to take this risk. And for some reason, we, we started with 15 days to slow the spread, which was never a plan to stop anyone from getting infected. It was a plan to smooth out the infection curve so that it didn't overwhelm the hospitals and cause the medical system to collapse. That's all it was for. And now we have people who say, uh, I'm, uh, now we have governors saying, I'm not going to allow you out of your house until there's been a vaccine for two years. No. No, where the hell does that come from? I was stupid enough to, to, to go along with 15 days. It seemed reasonable and prudent. We had a very scary thing going on with very limited information. Systems were getting overwhelmed around the world. People were having literal gang fights in Sicily to raid supermarkets for food. It, it, it seemed like a worthwhile experiment. But but now it has somehow, we're, we're like nine months later, and you still have governors locking states down, and you still have people uh, saying, I'm not going anywhere until there's a vaccine. That's insane. And the idea that you're going to have somehow a, a riskless world, uh, you know, it sucks that this time last year there was no COVID risk and now there is. It sucks that that's a reality we all have to live with from now on. But you can't shut everything down and destroy the the lives, the the families, the, the, the hell, the nations that are being destroyed because... What? You, 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 you can't live in a world where you, you want to spend your life under the covers because there's a new chicken pox? And yes, people do die of chicken pox. Yeah, but there's 3,000, there's 2,000 to 3,000 Americans dying every day from this virus, not the chicken pox. No, no. We not. There are thousands of Americans who die every day with this virus. One of the things that I noticed a while ago is that the press stopped reporting what has been the gold standard measurement in every pandemic since the dawn of time, or at least of statistics, excess deaths. How many people did you expect to die in this month, this year, and how many actually died? The excess yeah, of that is that's, generally that's attributed. Completely different. That's totally different than people dying from COVID. We're not talking about the normal number of people who die every month in a country. Of course, we have. There's accidents. There's people who die of natural causes. But this mm -hmm. is COVID. People are dying in a hospital 
they're dying from a form of viral pneumonia, and they're they're and, that's yeah, how these people are dying from the falling off ladders and getting COVID listed on their death certificate because dying be, be, because if you die with COVID, there's an awful lot of ascent incentive to list you as dying from COVID. What you need to look at is what are the excess deaths for the month of November? What are the excess deaths for the month of October? What are the excess deaths for the month of September? And I'm not saying there's no excess deaths, but that's when how you figure out the guy with Alzheimer's who died a week earlier because of COVID. How do you factor that into your statistics versus the the guy who fell off a ladder, but maybe he wouldn't have if he hadn't lost his balance because he had a spell from the COVID. Uh, is, is, is that typical? At, you, what's that? Is that typical? A guy falls off a ladder. Or, you know, someone dies of something else and then they list the death is, is, is COVID. Is, is that typical? Because I'm talking about people with the virus in the hospital dying, which is something that American you, doctors and nurses are saying is happening no, every day. For a long time, if you entered the hospital, you got a COVID test. And you could die of anything in the hospital. And if you died of COVID, they got more money. In order to make sure that the system didn't reject COVID patients, the feds, when they first started responding to COVID, uh, upped Medicare reimbursement rates, created all sorts of subsidies, and upped a lot of prices so that if someone had, for instance, a ventilator or they had a ventilator and had COVID, the the hospital would get would be able to charge I think like twenty five or fifty percent more for the use of that ventilator if it was for a COVID patient. So if for a long time, if you went into some hospitals with a broken leg, they'd give you a COVID test because they could drive up the COVID statistics. That's one of the reasons that when people tout case numbers, case numbers, case numbers, it's bullcrap because when you get a false positive, that's a case. When you take another test in order to confirm, they don't take away the false positive. If you if you're you have COVID and you're testing a couple of times to see, am I asymptomatic yet, or am, am I still transmissible? Is it is this an actual test? There have been a lot of screwed up databases, a lot of screwed up data. Uh, I, I don't think the issue is probably not as big as the conspiracy theorists would have you believe. But yes, there is a big issue with a lot of financial incentives in the system for people to overstate if someone was harmed due to COVID or if they were harmed with COVID. And absolutely, those numbers have been manipulated. Now, are there excess deaths in 2020? I would say, yeah, absolutely. I don't think that all of these listed COVID deaths are this year's excess deaths. And then, of course, we screwed up the excess deaths tabulation in the other way with the lockdowns, where a lot of people weren't exposed to the traumatic injuries that they would have been if they'd been hiking or picnicking or or driving or whatever. But every pandemic before now, the, the way you estimated your true pandemic death rate was with excess deaths. 
how many more deaths are we having this year than we had projected? That's the number that we know if it weren't for this pandemic, that's the number of people that would have survived that didn't. Does that make sense? Okay. So yeah, it makes sense. So out of, out of that, I, I think there's two points that you're making. So, and, and maybe another one, but, it, but here's the two points. So number one, the COVID is the, it, it's, it's, we should think of it as the same level of danger as driving or, you know, going to the park hiking, it's the same level of danger. The COVID's not that dangerous. And number two, you're saying that hospitals and doctors across the country, in conjunction with the media, are cooking the book to make the pandemic look worse than it is, and they're doing it to make money. What was your first thing again? That the COVID is not as dangerous, that we should, oh, you know... It's it, it, it dangerous. I'm not denying that it exists. I'm not denying that it's dangerous. But yeah, people have to... It's a new, a novel coronavirus in the, the, the atmosphere. It, it, it's here, and we have to deal with it. Uh, but number two, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, several months ago, I think it was around the beginning of summer or maybe the middle of summer, there was a news report that the ERs in Houston, the Houston ICUs were at 94% of capacity and at risk of being overrun. People around the country were panicking, were saying, oh, how stupid Texas is. They they lifted up their, they loosened their, their lockdowns and their mask mandates. And now they're going to, now people are going to be, bodies are going to be stacked like cordwood in the halls of, of Houston hospitals. And so the CEO of one of the hospital firms there in Houston had to get word out to the press and explain that if you look at their ICU uh, occupancy at the same time the year before, they were 93% full. 2020, 94%. 2019, 93%. Having the, the ICUs be that full is normal. There was a little bit of a bump over the previous year. That's it. But also, they have plans in place. They can convert other hospital wards and wings into ICUs very quickly. So if there is some kind of surge and they need to double their ICU space overnight, they can do that. It's just, it's not set aside as ICU space because there isn't the need for that. So it's more profitable to use it for uh, recovering knee surgeries and things like that. So, so yes, you have a lot of press who love leading the stories with fa pandemic panic porn and the sky is falling and everything's terrible. When they talk about our, our own governor over Thanksgiving, he, he, he banned the sale of alcohol in bars and restaurants on the day before Thanksgiving. Because he he, ta he was talking about how hospitals are, I think, 89% full. Well, okay, that's a big scary number too. But again, it's a manipulated number. Because in the United States, we've built a more flexible healthcare system than, say, Europe. And people don't stay in hospitals anymore. So there are going to be fewer hospital beds per patient anymore. But there are a lot of mobile surgical centers. And there are a lot of ambulatory surgical centers. And there are a lot of urgent care centers. And there are a lot of not hospital medical facilities that are designed so that in, a in an emergency like a pandemic, they can be converted and become extra hospital occupancy. So when the, the fear tactics are, 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 are used by politicians and are used by the press, and it does get the 
pushing the panic button in people's brains gets them to watch your channel longer so you can sell more commercials. Well, please, you just, please, uh, argue, that's, argue that's, for that's me. Another, what's that? That's another, that's another big factor, I think, in the decline of America. And that's, you just named it. And that's cable news. Cable oh, news yeah. is designed, it's designed to, to, it's fear porn, you know? And that fear infects every level of American society and it affects the way that we treat each other and it makes it really hard for us to be a country. Yep. I agree. Let, let, let's let's take this from another angle. Please argue for me with a straight face. I'm going to hear it in your voice. Please argue for me that the vast majority of hospitals in the United States would not write up the same patient slightly differently to get a 25 or 50 or 100% greater reimbursement from the federal government. <laughs> Uh, well, of course, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to do their record keeping in a way that is most profitable. That's what they, right? They are companies or corporations and they care most about making money for, for whoever gets the money. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I think you're right about that. Now, I'm not saying that this, I don't know if this is happening in mass about coronavirus, but your point is taken and I agree. Yes. They would do that. You know, a, a long time ago, there's a lot of things that I would have said, nah, they wouldn't do that. That requires a level of depravity that that institution wouldn't stoop to. Or that requires a, a moral flexibility that this institution isn't capable of. Or I, I used to be able to just dismiss things as conspiracy theories or crazy rantings because, no, no, better people than that run that institution. Yeah, these past five years have really shown me how morally bankrupt how, uh, so many of these institutions are i i, well, I, I can't really dismiss those conspiracy this, theories so cavalierly anymore this is all kind of scary i mean what kind of country are we living in is, is there anything positive what what's good about america in 2020 tell me something good give me some hope something we can't trust our hospitals we can't trust our politicians what are we going to do tell me something good there's well, gotta be i think i think there's a lot of gridlock on the horizon and i consider that a beautiful thing you know, the longer there's gridlock in America, the farther China is moving ahead. China is ahead of us as far as technology, education, infrastructure, and innovation. They're way ahead of us. I don't think gridlock in America is a good thing from that perspective. When half of America wants to sell out to China, yeah, preventing them from doing so is a uh, good thing. I don't think half of America wants to sell out to China. The people, you know, ordinary Americans did not they don't gain anything from China except Walmart, right? Ordinary Americans have nothing to do with that. It's, we're talking about uh, political elites on both sides of the aisle. We're talking about uh, economists, especially out of the University of Chicago. And uh, we're talking about people who own big companies. That's not the ordinary American. 50% does not want to sell out to China. Well, we're talking about the people who uh, run the Democrat Party, so... And okay. a whole bunch you of know, the ones trying I, to regain control of the Republican Party. I, I totally agree. You know, probably the uh, the best thing that Trump did was, even though I don't think he executed it well, but he certainly did step up step up to China. But if, in fact, China is, is, a, is a problem, we're not going to beat them divided. You know, this makes me think of Abraham Lincoln's famous quote about a house divided. We are mm -hmm. at that point that I... I literally am looking at out of my balcony and I can count 20 cranes. They're building an underground subway fast train. The Chinese are building more and more every day. They're ahead of us. We need a unified, we need a unified populace. How are we going to get there? How are we going to fight China like this? I don't know. 
Uh, we are a house divided. We have two moral compasses pointing in opposite direction. There is one ray of hope that I have. I've been thinking a lot about uh, the videos of fraud and the tales of fraud coming from big cities, uh, Philadelphia, you know, your, your big machine cities, Detroit and, and whatnot. And it occurred to me, you know, someone pointed out that in Broward County, until Broward County was controlled by Democrats in Florida, uh, until through the 2018 election. And then uh, Brenda Snipes there, I believe, was their election official. The count was so screwed up. There's some speculation that the Democrats stole the agriculture position, uh, commissioner position, and were on track to steal the governor position uh, before investigators got there, could identify the abuses, stop the, the constant recounting. Brenda Snipes, I think her name was, I believe she retired after that. The state legislature passed a law to reform counting uh, and how it's done. And this year, Broward County had one of the most peaceful, orderly elections in the country. And the counting was done within hours of the poll closing. It's the first time in decades that that's happened. It was, uh, and what, what shocked everyone was how orange, how red the results were. It was like everyone in Broward County had voted solidly Republican. It was it was it wasn't the you know Republicans did better. It wasn't oh Republicans took a majority. It was there was a good solid majority for Republicans. And now people are wondering how long has Broward County been red? How long have the irregularities built into the machine in Broward County been turning it blue after the, the voting stopped? And so for a long time, I'd been looking at these people in these cities and, and had I still have to some degree these really mixed emotions about you vote for people who criminalize every time you walk across the street wrong and then you want to defund the cops. And then, of course, you see the cops in these areas seem to play into that. Uh, and you, you, you've seen this year a big difference in law enforcement between the people who tend to be in more rural areas who say, I'm not going to enforce laws that are that I feel are unconstitutional. And you saw some sheriffs just gave Gavin Newsom the, the middle finger in that way about his new absurd lockdown order. But you, you see that on one hand, you see these people in these cities but you have to wonder, now that you start to understand how deep the cheating is, are they really voting for those people? And it, it's, it's, I don't know, I've been sort of spiraling down this kind of rabbit hole with, of how legitimate are the governments in those cities? And how long has this rigging been going on? What do you make so, up of these cities? Well, I'm, I'm stuck on Gavin Newsom because uh, the only thing that when you when you mention Gavin Newsom and and lockdown lockdown orders, the only thing that comes to my mind is the groveling bullshit speech he made last week after he himself violated his own lockdown rules by hanging out in a restaurant with his family and friends. Yep, and then he lied about it, and so pictures came out after that showing that he even lied about it after he was called out on it. And the best part yeah. is it was it was at uh, the people 
four of the people honoring him were state medical, some kind of state medical regulators, like they're the head of the Society of Physicians or something. So yeah, I mean, you've got you've got old Gavin, you've got the Democratic mayor of Denver, Colorado, who implements a lockdown in his city and then promptly gets on a plane and flies across country, once again violating even, his own rules. He even tweeted from the airport telling everyone to stay home. Ha. Oh yeah, Nancy Pelosi. You've got Nancy Pelosi who is uh, pro lockdown until it's time for her to get her hair done. Yep. And then and have you noticed the how the, have you noticed how the fearless leaders who tell us the strongest the the most how much we have to be afraid of this disease are also the ones flouting their own safety measures? Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. They're not acting with a lot of fear, are they? No, no. Well, you got that right. They're a bunch of hypocrites, starting with uh, the Blasio, starting with Cuomo. I, I don't know. Maybe it is a maybe it is a hope to bring down the president's work. <laughs> well, the hope, the president never called COVID a hoax. He said, if you, if you take the clip in context, instead of the out-of-context portion that outlets were running he said that the new hoax is going to be the democrats trying to claim he didn't respond even though he responded while they were labeling him a racist to respond yeah one thing i will have to say is that uh the the blue wave it never happened and trump's numbers got better across the board specifically with african americans so mm-hmm. uh the, the the interesting thing about the democratic party is they they're not capable of reflection they're not capable of hey why did we almost lose this election you know could it could it be that our supporters spent all summer rioting and attacking people in the street could it be that our supporters are around with stupid slogans like defund the police could it be that we are all hypocrites on the coronavirus could it be that america doesn't want to become a socialist country could it be that america does not want to sell itself out to china i should say whore itself out to china i I wonder well the democrats don't wonder they don't they don't reflect and uh you know that moron aoc and the squad are already basically trying to push nancy pelosi out so i I don't know who i don't know which is worse pelosi the, the old democrats or the young democrats who's more useless the old democrats are self-dealing, cunning, and quite intelligent. Um, But they're not as energetic, and they tend to have a better appreciation for the long game. The young Democrats have all of the sanctimonious certitude of a 20-something who's figured out the entire world. They aren't anchored by any sense of limitation, and they can't be reasoned with. So the question is, how good are you on your... Are you able to manipulate the bull and get it to charge where you need it to be so that you can get shit done in the other corner of the ring? Or do you need someone that you can work with and compromise with? If you can stay ahead of the bull, then root for the to, then root to draw the bull. If you need someone who's going to be a bit more circumspect and reasonable, then you go for the, the ones that have been in there for their careers. Yeah. Well, I agree with you, and the Democratic Party would, uh, they're, they're going to be in a lot of trouble if they let those youngsters take over. They won't last long. Yeah. All right, Gabe, well, I think that was a good discussion. I think so, too. 
Thank well, you for listening. Oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. Lots of things happen in a week, so we'll get back together a week from now, and we'll we'll see what the state of America is. Excellent. Sounds great. Uh, thank you for listening to this presentation of Truth and Narrative. Be sure to check out the show notes for more background on the topics discussed. Please like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Send comments, suggestions, and questions to truthandnarrative at protonmail.com. Thank you.